All right. Well, good morning. So it is always a privilege and a joy and an honor to be able to have the opportunity to, to stand before you guys and preach. Uh, that is not without saying that it's not also nerve-wracking. Um, no matter how many times I get up here, it just, I, I get anxious leading up to the moments. I was telling a few people earlier that just, I get antsy and I can't sit still until I get up here. And then even once I'm up here, I still can't sit still. So you guys just understand, I move back and forth a lot, um, case in point right now. So, but with this, as, uh, as I was thinking about, about this morning and about our text and what's going on in, in this case, as this angel comes to visit Joseph, uh, obviously and naturally the first thing that I thought of was social media, um, right? Yeah, you know, you get that. So, no, so social media, I'm not really somebody I would say that spends a lot of time on social media. Uh, my extent generally of social media, in particular Facebook, uh, equates, to, equates to the fact that on my phone, I get that little red bubble that pops up that says I have a notification and it drives me crazy. And so I have to click on it and then clear that notification. So generally, my use of social media is for church-related purposes and things like that, just checking to see what announcements and what's going on with our, within our Facebook group. Now, sometimes, uh, whenever I click on that notification tab, I see a story that's popped up and it intrigues me, and so I get a little bit of time, and so I'll, I'll look at it, and I'll read it, and I end up going down the uh, proverbial social media rabbit hole. You know, uh, you, at some point or another, you've probably been there. You click on one link, and then all of a sudden, at the bottom of that, there's another link that sounds pretty interesting, and then another, and another, and another, and next thing you know, seven days of your life have passed by. Uh, but so this week, uh, I was, uh, that kind of happened, not quite a full seven days, but I was looking at a particular story, and it led to another and another, and I ended up watching this short little video, and apparently this is showing up all over the place, so maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but I'll do my best to describe it to you. Uh, but there's a video of a robotic arm, and it's considered to be a piece of artwork that has been in the past on display in the Guggenheim, as well as some other museums, but it's called Can't Help Myself. And it was created by two guys, I'm going to butcher these names, so I apologize, but it's uh, Sun Yan and Peng Yu. And so the idea of this robotic arm, what's happening is they've got it inside of an enclosure, and it's got glass walls around it so you can walk around and you can see from all sides what's happening. But this robotic arm at the base of it, it is leaking motor oil. And it was designed to do this. And so as the motor oil is leaking out, once it reaches a certain spot, then the robotic arm begins to reach down and scoop it and push it back up into itself. So it's scooping it back in so that it can remain alive. And the way that it's programmed and coded, and their, their idea is the more this thing works, the more it's going to leak out. So the harder it has to work, the more it's actually, try, as it tries to save itself, it's actually killing itself. And as I was reading about this and seeing what's going on with it, and then, uh, I, you know, like I said, it's kind of become a little bit of a big deal, it looks like, but there's, you know, 16,000 plus comments on this, and I didn't have enough time to read that. I, you know, I probably read about 25 of them. But as I read through these comments, what I was noticing is that what I was taking away from this was not what others were. What I was looking at at this is how much of a picture of the gospel is this? The fact that we, as humans, work so hard and we, we take culturally this mindset of picking ourselves up by our bootstraps 
and trying to save ourselves. And the more that we work, the more that we put this on ourselves, then what we're doing is we're putting ourselves on a pedestal and we are being prideful and we are putting ourselves before the Lord and thus destroying ourselves. You see, the only way for this robotic arm to truly be saved and to not work itself to death is for the creators of the robotic arm to come back in and to reprogram it. And how much more can we take from that in understanding and knowing that we have been created by the God of the universe, and the only way for us to be saved is for him to step in and to reprogram or to give a way. And that's what we're, we're, we're studying, what we're taking a break from Philippians to look at, is the way that God has created for us. Last week, Pastor Chris took some time to talk about a visit to Mary. This morning, we're going to look at when an angel comes to visit Joseph. And I tried to kind of break this down into three fairly simple points, primarily so I could remember it as, as I'm working through this. But those three things, the three things that I want to take away that I want us to see as we look at this story where the angel visits Joseph is that Joseph is faced first with a challenge. And then after that challenge is put before him, he is given a charge. And then finally, there is a change. So try, again, try to make it easy for myself. So challenge, charge, and change. Those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. So let's take a look at what challenge Joseph is faced with here in this story. Verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So here's the challenge that he's faced with. We're told here at the start of this that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So what is this concept of being betrothed? Well, today we would call this an engagement. So a betrothal was a promise that these two were to be married. Now, generally, this, took, this lasted about a year. And what would happen was the woman would generally go back and live with her parents so as to protect her and to keep her from any kind of extramarital relationship or anything like that. And so all of a sudden, in this, during the time of this betrothal, during the time of the engagement, Joseph receives word that his bride-to-be is pregnant. Now, if you know anything about what leads to pregnancy, um, then you understand that to Joseph, just understanding how the world works and how life works, his natural instinct is to think, okay, this woman has now, my betrothed, my bride-to-be, has committed an adulterous relationship. She's had an affair. That's the natural thought, okay? He has no reason to think or to believe otherwise up to this point. So this is the challenge that he is facing in this moment is, how do I respond? How do I react? What am I to do in this situation? And we're, all, we're not told a whole lot about Joseph except for a few key things about his character. We're told that Joseph was a just man and that he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. And so what that tells us about him is that he has some character about him. Now, in this, legally, he had a wide array of options. So one option is to do exactly what he ends up doing. He can, 
handle this quietly. He can put her away and just divorce it and just move on and let go of it all. And, and his, his relationship with her is effectively ended. Okay, so that's one aspect of this. Another aspect all the way to the other side is legally he had the right to pursue essentially the death penalty for her. He could have had her put to death for breaking this betrothal covenant between them. And so in this, he's wrestling with this concept. You see, they, a betrothal covenant was a serious thing. It's much like the, the pinky promise of a seven-year-old, right? It's taken very seriously. And so in this, as they're taking this seriously, as he is debating and contemplating, what do I do? How do I respond? He's, he's not settled. We have situations, we have challenges in our lives that constantly come up that push us one direction or another. You know, there are some things that it's easy to make a decision on. You walk into Chick-fil-A, you say, I'll take a number two, right? Spicy chicken sandwich, that's where it's at. And, and then with that, you move on with your life. You don't wrestle with that decision. You don't walk out of there regretting the fact that you didn't order something else. You're good with it. But some decisions, some things are big decisions in life. Do I take this job? Do I not take that job? Do we buy that house, not buy this house? Do I go to this college or do I go to that college? There are big decisions, there are challenges that we face all the time in life. And we wrestle with those decisions. And we see here that Joseph did not come to this decision about his relationship with Mary lightly. What he decides to do is to put her away quietly because of his character because of the relationship that he has with the Lord. But then at the beginning of verse 20, and we see that he's not settled on this, because it says, but as he considered these things. All right, so those, those few words, what that means is, okay, this is the, the decision I think that I'm going to make. This is the angle that I'm going to go. But he's still considering it. It means he's not settled on it. So as he faces this challenge, he understands that he's got to look beyond himself, that he needs the wisdom of the Lord. And so now we're going to look at the charge that has been given to him. So his challenge is how to handle this relationship with Mary and the fact that she is now pregnant and he is supposed to marry her. So it says, verse 20, but as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here in verses 20 through 23, Joseph, prior to this, has been given a challenge. Now, his response to this challenge is going to be given to him from the Lord through an angel. And so this angel appears to him as he's considering this, and a charge is given to him. So first, before they get to the point of action, to the charge that's given to him, let's take a look at what, what is said all in all, and that is, first of all, Joseph, son of David. So the angel is pointing out who Joseph is, his lineage, and this is important. We're going to come back to this 
here in a little bit. So I just want to make sure that you guys recognize that those three little words, they matter. Son of David. So he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So now he's being comforted. He's being told, one, with a charge, but two, in a manner of comfort, of saying, listen, this woman, she has not cheated on you. This is not a result of sin. This is a result of the will of God. The child that is within her has not been conceived of man, but it's been conceived of the Holy Spirit. So with that, don't fear, but instead take comfort. Rejoice in the fact of what God is doing. And so then the angel continues on, and he says, so here's what's going to happen. She's going to bear this son, and you, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. All right, so this is the charge that's being put on Joseph, is that in the response to this challenge, he is being called to take responsibility and to give this child a name. He's being called to marry this woman and then to name this child. And so what is the big deal about naming the child? Well, in their culture, when Joseph gives the name to this child once it is born, he is accepting this child legally into his family. It is a legal adoption. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going with this as we think about the charge that's going to be placed or is being placed on Joseph. He is being called to be the earthly father of this child. So by giving it the name of Jesus, by taking on that responsibility, Joseph is being told, you're going to be the earthly father. He is going to be a part of your family. So then he continues on, the angel says, for he will save his people from their sins. So that's the reason why this name Jesus is being given. This, this name Jesus, it literally means Yahweh, that is the Lord, saves. And so this angel is giving Joseph comfort, giving Joseph a charge, and in that then continues on and references back to a prophet, to a prophecy that was made in Isaiah. And that prophecy says that this child is to be born of a virgin. And through that birth, the son, the child, shall be called Emmanuel, that is, God with us. So God is becoming man to be amongst us. Now, before we get into our third point, I want to take a moment, I want to think about what it is that Joseph is experiencing in this moment. We're not given a lot of detail, but as he's considering the challenge that he's facing, right, he's contemplating, how do I handle my relationship with Mary? He's spent some time thinking through it, praying through it, and then all of a sudden now, here's this angel that comes to him and says, here's how you're supposed to react to this. Now, what we're about to see is a change that comes about, but before we really delve into that, I want to I talk about how Joseph receives this in the fact that he was expectant of a response. He was expectant to get a word from the Lord and that he was willing to receive it. And so how do we live our lives? Are we living our lives expectant of the Lord to speak to us? Expectant of the Lord, prepared for the Lord to give us wisdom through his word? Uh, you know, something just about me, if you know me a little bit at all, uh, generally, I'm a pretty even-keeled person, okay? I, I don't get too hyped up. I don't get too far down. I'm just kind of here most of the time. 
And so with that, uh, something that just uh, hasn't ever really affected me personally has been just kind of the concept of celebrity and being around celebrities. Now, I'm not saying that like, I hang out with celebrities all the time or anything like that, but um, I, as I've encountered a few throughout my life, it's, my mindset is, look, they're just people like me, except they're more well-known, right? And so whenever I was younger, when I was a high school student, a, a senior, the, here in town, a, a church was uh, bringing in David Crowder to put on a concert. Now, at that time, David Crowder was my absolute favorite artist, not just Christian artist, but just artist. And he was coming to town, and so, of course, I was going to figure out a way to get a ticket. Now, they were putting on this concert primarily for college students, uh, but then after they sold those tickets and still had some left, they decided to open it up to high school seniors. So I was all over that. I was super excited. Now, uh, I haven't been in this church building in probably close to 20 years, but as memory serves me, uh, the room was probably about this size of a room. And during the concert, I'm probably located about center, a little bit off to the side, right about here. And so I'm sitting there, you know, standing, singing, enjoying, relishing in the fact that, you know, I'm here at a David Crowder concert in Lufkin, of all places. And, And it's just, it's an exciting thing. Now, at the back of the room, they had tables set up with, with resources, uh, uh, you know, gospel information, as well as just his CDs and uh, books that were written by people that were close to him and things like that, just as is common in concerts. And my expectation was, and which I had never been to a concert like this before, so, but my expectation going into this was, okay, he's going to get up, he's going to sing his songs, when it's over, he's going to go out that back door and he's going to go off into a bus or a trailer, and, you know, we'll never see this guy. Well, I can't model it for you because I'm short, and I'd probably break an ankle. But at the end of the service, he just jumped right off the front of the stage. Like, not, not like Doe trying to get carried, uh, body surf to the back or anything. He just jumped right off the front of the stage and, and was standing right there and was just slowly making his way towards the back of the room. He was going to go back, and he was going to stand at the table and greet people as they were coming to to purchase CDs or thanking them for coming and things like that. So as he's making his way to the back, the crowd is parting. And the the path that he's taking, he's going to come right by me. And so, and again, I wasn't expecting to meet this guy. I wasn't prepared for this. And so I'm watching the people in front of me. I've got maybe 30 seconds till he gets to me. And all of a sudden, I can just feel my heart racing and my body's getting tense. I'm like, okay. So they're giving him a high five. They're telling him good concert. They're, they're trying to hug him like, okay, what am I going to do? If he comes right by me, how do I react? What do I do? I mean, I know if I touch him, I'm not going to get his amazing guitar playing ability. Like, it's not just going to transfer to me. So, so what's the point? What do I do? How do I react? And next thing I knew, he was right on me. And so if you've ever watched sports or played sports, I don't know why, but my my reaction was, as he walked by, I could look him in the eye and I said, hey, I gave him a little pat on his behind and said, good game, Crowder. (laughs) Now, I don't know how often that has happened to him. Um, I like to think that maybe he's standing around telling people this story like, man, I went to this small town and this guy, I don't know what his deal was. But I was not prepared to encounter this guy. And so my reaction was just a gut reaction. Okay? Not necessarily the right one, but it was, it, it was strange. Joseph, when he encounters this angel, because of the relationship that he has with the Lord, because of his knowledge of 
history, because of his knowledge of the word, because of his knowledge of God, he was able to receive what the angel was giving to him because he was expectant of the Lord to come. You see, they were waiting for a Messiah. They were aware of the prophecies. And that's why when this angel comes forth and this angel says, look, it's just as the prophet has spoken. This child is to be born of a virgin. Now, Joseph's initial reaction wouldn't have been, well, hang on a second, I didn't know that I was part of this. But even within that, he's receptive of it. He understands, he knows that this is to fulfill the word of the Lord. Because God has a perfect plan. A plan that is set out and that is greater than anything that we could ever understand. And within this, we see as his perfect plan comes about that he has said, look, Joseph, you're about to get married. This woman, she's with child. But I need you to know, the angel is telling him, I need you to know you need to marry this woman because she has bore this child from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph's reaction. So he's got the challenge. The challenge is, how do I react when I find out that my bride is pregnant, my bride-to-be is pregnant? The charge from the angel has said, marry her. Marry, marry, and then name this child. So adopt this child into your family. And then our third point then is the change that comes about for Joseph. And here's, here's the reason why I call it a change. is because where we, we left Joseph before this dream came and the vision of the angel, the visit from the angel came about. We left him in a place where he was saying, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm just going to let this pass on. I'm going to leave it behind. And so then he receives this charge, but from the charge, there is a change. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. Here's the culmination of this story. It's so beautiful. And the reason why is because Joseph not only heard the charge, but he reacted and responded to the charge. There's been a charge that's been placed on our lives from the Spirit, and that is that God has called us to be his sons and daughters. How have we responded to that? Well, we see Joseph, he responds in obedience and in faith and in trust. So think about this for a moment. Husbands and wives, think about when you get married. So here, Joseph marries Mary before Jesus is born. And it says he knew her not. He restrained himself in that marital relationship and did not know her in that way so that she would remain a virgin and Jesus could be born of a virgin. And then he responds to the charge again by once the baby is born. He names the child. So this is, I said I wanted to go back to this. So this is, in effect, the idea of adoption. Now, that is a very, that's a thing that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, you may or may not know, but my wife and I have been uh, graciously afforded the opportunity to adopt three children. Two of them 
almost three years ago, back in February of 20, uh, was that 2019? So yeah, that's three years ago. February 2019. And then one of them just over a month ago, our son. And as I think about this concept of adoption and the fact our, our children that we have adopted, so they are mine legally. That means that I am, I'm going to say mine, but they are ours, mine and my wife's. We are responsible for them. We send our girls to school. If the school calls and uh, they've caused trouble, that is our responsibility. We have to handle that. We have to step in. We are raising them. We are parenting them. They are ours. Everything that is ours is theirs. And so they belong to us. Now, with that, there are things that they're going to learn from us. So, for instance, one of our children, uh, I think that she's being raised quite right. Uh, My wife might disagree, but uh, to an extent, but that is because she is taking on many of my traits. Uh, She is a very literal child, um, has a very dry and sarcastic sense of humor. Um, So, um, for instance, just as an example, um, uh, our daughter Judith, she will run with whatever you say. And so here's, here's one story. She was watching uh, a, a newer Cinderella movie on TV a couple weeks ago, and I came walking through the living room, and I stopped for a moment because Cinderella and the prince were dancing, and they were singing a song, and, and I stopped for a moment. I go, hey, this isn't a Disney song. Uh, and I listened for a moment, I go, and I looked at her, I said, hey, that's an Ed Sheeran song. And, and, then she, uh, and then I just walked off, and then from the living room, I heard her yell, Hey, you never know, Ed Sheeran could be Cinderella, okay? So that's just the sort of thing that she's learning to react to things like that because she's watched me. So she's got learned traits about her. However, there are also biological or natural traits that were given to her from her birth parents that did not come from us. So for instance, you can see by the fact that I'm standing next to this podium that is almost as tall as I am that... I am not, I don't have any kind of height about me, all right? My children, my girls are maybe not quite here, but it feels like they're already right here, and they're seven, okay? So at this point, the only opportunity I have to grow tall is to grow tall this way, not this way. And so that is not something that they received from my wife or I, okay? If you look at our son, Byron, Well, I think it's pretty obvious that you can tell he wasn't born from us because he loves basketball so much, and I'm terrible at basketball. No, no, there are physical traits about our son that are very different than about him than they are about my wife and I. But with that, there are learned traits. And so Joseph adopting Jesus, giving Jesus the name of Jesus, he's saying, you, this child, Jesus, is now a part of my family. There are things he's going to learn. For instance, Joseph was a carpenter, and we see and we read about in Jesus' life that he takes on those traits of a carpenter. However, there are also things about Jesus that are not going to be from Joseph. For instance, the fact that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit means that he is fully God. I'm going to kind of step on Pastor Chris's toes just a little bit, but he's already preached on this, so it's okay. But in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? So here's a description of Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? So in this passage in Philippians, what we see is that Paul is referencing both the fully human side as well as the fully God side of Jesus. And he is that. He is both because he was born of a woman, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so there are traits that are given to him that are not given to other men and women. There are things about him. And as a result of that, he is able to live the life that we cannot live. Right? Now, taking a step back for a moment, though, so why is it important that Joseph adopts Jesus? Well, if we go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, and we're not going to read all of this, but... Uh, mostly because you don't want to hear me butcher a bunch of names. But starting at the beginning of chapter 1, if you were to go from verse 1 all the way up until where we began in verse 18, so 1 through 17, what you're going to see is a genealogy of Jesus. The one part that I do want to focus in on, though, is in verse 16. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph... Jacob, the father of Joseph. And then it says, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. So here's the thing. The prophecies spoke about the Messiah being the son of David. And that means that Jesus needs to be in the lineage of David. And if you read through this lineage, you're going to see David referenced. But as you follow your way down, where it ends, right before getting to Jesus, is not with Mary. It doesn't say Mary was the daughter of Jacob. No, it says Joseph was the son of Jacob. And so with that, by Joseph adopting Jesus, by him giving him the name Jesus, he is bringing him into his family and legally making him a son of David legally fulfilling the prophecy that has been put forth. Again, the overarching, redemptive, sovereign picture that God paints is so beautiful. God knew and he knows what he's doing. We don't understand necessarily, but we can trust him just as Joseph does here. Joseph's change is not one of Hey, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to react. His change is one of, listen, the Lord spoke and I'm going to respond. How does he respond? He responds in trust and obedience. You know, I started out by sharing with you guys the story of this robotic arm that is working and trying to save itself. It's constantly pulling this oil back into itself to replenish But again, the harder that it works, the more it loses. The closer it comes to death. What we see here in the story of the virgin birth is that Jesus was born in this manner, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to show us that salvation does not come from man. Jesus was not born from a human man and a human woman. He was born from the Spirit. Our salvation comes from the Spirit, not 
as a result of man or our effort or anything that we can do. It is from the Spirit. And so with that, what I hope that we see and that we understand that we walk away from this is that while society and the world may tell us, grab your bootstraps, pick yourself up, what we should actually be doing is falling before the altar of God and giving things over to him. Trust him with who we are. Joseph is our example here. As we face challenges, understand that the charge that has been placed before our lives is one of obedience to him. And how does that change our lives? If you're in this room this morning, and you do not know the Lord as Savior. I pray that you've heard the gospel this morning. Multiple times over, we had two wonderful presentations of the gospel through baptism. And I, I pray that the Lord used me to communicate the gospel clearly this morning as well. But you've heard the gospel. We know that we cannot meet the standard that he has set before us. You see, God's standard is perfection. And we are not capable of that. We are sinners. And as a result of that, we need a Savior. And so what did God do? Well, again, you've heard it multiple times. But God sent His Son, Jesus, who is both fully man and fully God, to live the life that we cannot live, to live the perfect life, and then to die the death that we deserve. And then to be raised from the grave and seated at the right hand of the Father. Where he offers us this free gift of salvation. So if you do not know him this morning. If you do not have that relationship with him. If you are fighting and striving and trying to scrape your own motor oil back into your own life. To preserve and to make it just last just a little bit longer. Understand that God is the creator. He is the one that can come in and can reprogram us and give us the salvation that we cannot acquire on our own. If that is you and you would like to have a conversation about that, the pastors here would love to have that conversation with you. We will be available afterwards. If you came with a friend or a family member that is walking with the Lord, I would encourage you to take this conversation home and have it with them after the service. We are available. If you are a believer, here's the beautiful thing about the adoption and this this concept of, of where I want to take this, is that Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit and adopted into an earthly family. We are born into earthly families. We are born into sin, but we are adopted into the kingdom of God, into his family. And so while our natural state may be a sinner, we have learned traits that we can learn from him. We learn those by studying the word. You know, some of those, just a few things that pop into my head immediately, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Learned traits that we learn by spending time with our Heavenly Father, studying Him, watching how Jesus lived His life, watching and learning how God imposes His will and directs His people to live, and then we put that into action. 
as his adopted children, we should look more and more like him each day. And so those of you in here who have this relationship with him, I hope that you're spending that time with him. I pray that you are being sanctified to be made more like him each and every day. So this morning, here in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing as we did right before this time, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. I love this song. But more than the song, I love when we sing it together as a body of believers. Right? As adopted children, I look around this room and I see brothers and sisters in Christ. And I am encouraged by the fact that God did not call us into this Christian life in isolation or by ourselves, but that we have brothers and sisters that we walk through this life with. And so this morning, as we close in singing together, I would encourage you guys to do just that, to encourage one another by raising your voices, to adore our Heavenly Father, to glorify Him, and understand that what He has called us to is His glory, not our own. Join me now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We're thankful for the time that we've had together to worship you through singing, to worship you through the preaching of your word. I pray for those in here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, that they would have clearly heard the gospel this morning. Father, that you would be making your name great in this time. I pray for us as we move forward past this time into our afternoons and for our communion service this evening, Father, that, again, that we would be glorifying you in all that we do. And so, Father, now as we sing together, adoring you, pray that you would be honored in what we give. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.